0: If you would turn with me in your scriptures to Psalm 103, we will be reading the entire psalm. Psalm 103, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses. He acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, Nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in his strength, who do his word. Bless the Lord, all you you, his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in the place of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. O gracious Father in heaven, we come to your word to learn of you and to grow in our understanding of this glorious gospel you've given us. We come in the name of your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, because we know it is in him alone that this gospel is perfected. So we fix our eyes not on what, we, what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We cannot see Jesus, but we know he is there at your right hand interceding for us. Help us to hear your word and grow in our faith that we might be stronger and stronger in our witness to others in this great unseen Savior. Amen. This is another psalm of David and is considered to be, by most commentators, to be his best. All the evidence points toward this being written in David's later years. It shows that he had a higher sense of understanding of pardon, which came from a deeper knowledge of the devastation of sin. He also shows in this psalm a very keen understanding of the frailty of life. All this goes to bring together a fuller view of his gratitude for God. This psalm is seen among all the other psalms as a great peak, standing tall in the view of God. It's like a a mountain range with its many peaks. This is the Mount Everest of the book of psalms Spurgeon says it is the apple tree among the trees of the woods and its golden fruit has a flavor such as no fruit ever bears unless it has been ripened in the full sunshine of mercy You need to note that no petition occurs throughout this entire the entire compass of these 22 verses There is not a single word of supplication in this whole psalm This psalm is addressed to the Most High. In the other psalms of David, there had been much prayer. Many fervent, heartfelt prayers were lifted before God, and those prayers were answered. Innumerable blessings had been showered down on David in acknowledgement of his many supplications. Therefore, in this psalm, we find an overwhelming flood of gratitude burst from David's joy-filled heart. From this heart of joy and gratitude, he sets his hands to the task of blessing and thanking the Lord for his wonderful grace. As we begin our examination of this great psalm, we will first look to the blessings of our Lord that are given to David and his people. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Second, we learn of all the manifest, magnificent things that fill David's and the people of God's heart. Manifest the Lord. Third, we will find ourselves going full circle and coming back to the blessings of God in heaven. Bless the Lord, the host of heaven. The psalmist opens this psalm with a great template of praise. He's working hard to awaken and stir up his soul. He calls forth all of his powers and faculties, all that is within him, that every part of his frame may glorify his Savior. Verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, what David is doing here is working to make sure his understanding may be known in his heart and that his heart will believe his Savior. He also wants his will to choose his Lord and his tongue to confess his belief. Jehovah is worthy to be praised by us all. We are to open our hearts and lift our voices and praise Jehovah with all our breath and strength. Our very life and essence must be engrossed with such delights of praise. This is to bring us to the point we are continually blessing his holy name. All of our faculties, emotions, and capacities are given us by our Lord. And we must bring that all together as we praise our God. We must be very careful to avoid half-hearted, ill-conceived, unintelligent praises in the way we praise our God. If the Lord, of law of justice demands all of our heart, soul, and mind for the Creator, what must follow? What comes next? How much more should the law of gratitude put in a comprehensive claim for the esteem of our whole being to the God of grace? Verse 2 Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Here we see the earnest of the psalmist's soul as he again calls upon himself to arise. We have to ask ourselves, what was his state of mind before all of this? Was he now doubly sensible of the importance of his praise? Now that the Holy Spirit guides his pen, Therefore, he shows that we have need again and again to shake ourselves when we're coming to worship. We need to come ready to worship. We need to come with a heartfelt desire to worship. Know this, it would be of the greatest shame if we were to come offering God anything but the absolute best, the utmost our souls can give. He goes on to tell us and forget not all his benefits. This is really a hard thing to keep right. It seems that we never forget the bad things we have done in our life. We are constantly being reminded of these terrible things by the world, the flesh, and Satan. We even dwell on them at times and we bemoan our place with Jesus. We think we can, we think, how can I be a Christian? with such baggage. Well, I want you to listen to David. I want you to hear what David has to say here. He declares a truth you must take hold of and you must never forget. He boldly brings this truth out as he deals with worship. He says, and forget not all his benefits. It seems so easy for us to to forget those wonderful things God has done for us in bringing us to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm sure everyone here has those problems at times. But you must work. You must work hard at cataloging those blessings and never let them be lost. God has blessed each one who has professed their faith, who has professed their trust in Jesus Christ, and you need to constantly show your gratitude to him. What a wonderful way that is to help you always be happy in the Lord, remembering those good things that God has done for you. You know, we have a real easy time remembering the bad things. they just just always there. Satan's always bringing them up to us. We have to work hard to keep the good things in our mind, to keep them in our, our, our sight where we can remember all that God has done for us. Look at verses 3 through 5. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? And this opens with one of the greatest blessings of all, your salvation. God sent his only begotten son into this world to purchase your forgiveness. He took every sin from your life before, during, and after his life on this earth. You are free. You are free from sin and guilt. God forgave you, forgives you, and will continue to forgive you. What a blessing this is. I hope this helps you with the problem of remembering sin from your past life. Just remind yourself, and you can tell Satan too, God has forgiven me. I will not fall back into grief over those sins that have been forgiven. Worrying about what you did wrong in the past deprives you of the blessings of God in the present. What else has God done for you? He's healed all of your diseases. He has removed from you the curse of death. He had redeemed your life from destruction. You do not need to fear hell or Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ is torn the warrant of your arrest up. Hell has no authority to arrest you. You are free in Christ. What has he done for you along, along with your salvation? He has crowned you with his love and mercy. He has provided for you every word of hope there is. He has satisfied you with these glorious good things that give you a new lease on life and fill your soul with more hope than you can even begin to imagine. The prophet sums this up in Isaiah 40 verses 30 and 31. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord... Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Bless the Lord, O my soul. As you come thanking and praising God, don't allow anyone, don't allow anything to detract you from these wonderful blessings of your loving God. We see in verses 6 through 19. The manifesting of the attributes of God as displayed in his dealings with his people. Verse 6. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Now we must be careful here. Careful not to let our joy for ourselves make us forget the joy of others. When God's people were in Egypt, he heard their groanings and brought them forth. He then overthrew Egypt and Pharaoh. Do not be afraid. Man's injustice shall receive retribution from the hand of God. Mercy to his saints demands vengeance on the persecutors, and God will repay it. No blood of martyrs shall be shed in vain. All wrongs shall be righted. All the oppressed shall be avenged. Justice at times may be missing from the courts of men, but I guarantee you one thing, it will never be missing in the tribunal of God. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Verse seven, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Moses was made to see the manner in which God dealt with men. He saw this in all three of the stages of his life. First, during the time he was in Pharaoh's court, second in the years of exile in the land of Midian, and third in his time as the leader of Israel. To Moses, the Lord gave very clear instructions about his dispensations and ways of ruling among mankind. God granted Moses to see more of the divine than anyone else had ever seen. He took on, with Moses took more time with Moses personally than with anyone up to that time. God also made known his acts to the children of Israel. Now, they saw much less than Moses because they didn't have that close communion Moses had. But they did see many miracles, more miracles than probably any other group of people in in the world, ever. They, They saw these miracles that God did. It's a great act of sovereign grace and condescending love when God reveals himself to any people. They ought to appreciate the distinguishing fact favor shown by God. We as believers in Jesus Christ know the Lord's ways of coveted grace. And we have by experience been made to see his acts of mercy toward us. So, how heartedly Should we praise our divine leader, the Holy Spirit, who has made these things known to us, for if it had not been for him, we would have continued in darkness to this day. We must ask, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Why? Why have you made us to obtain to it through election while the rest are still blinded? Verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. God deals with sinners. It doesn't matter how much he favors them. They are guilty, and they need mercy from him. He is never slow to be compassionate to them in their lost state. He is never reluctant by his grace to lift them up from their fallen condition. Mercy pardons sin. Grace bestows favor. The Lord abounds in both. The Lord reveals this to Moses, Exodus 34, 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. What this shows is the Lord will abide with us as long as the age of grace shall last. He can be angry and can give out righteous indignation on the guilty. But he handles this indignation in a very different way. Not like we would. He lingers long. He takes loving pauses. He tarries by the way to give space for repentance. He looks for ways to give opportunity for accepting his mercy. If God is like this, how much more should we work at doing others their Let us work in emulating our Lord. Verse 9. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Now, this is a very, very important <clears throat> verse. God says he will strive with you, for he hates for you, his child, to hold sin in your heart. He says he will forever chasten you. But he promises... He promises that as soon as you turn to him, as soon as you forsake your evil ways, he will end his chastening. Now he might find constant cause to strive with you, for you always have something in you contrary to his holy mind. But he refrains lest your spirit should fall before him. What this teaches us all, is if we find something unprofitable which causes us to lose fellowship with him, it's very important that we search our hearts, that we plead with him to guide us. We ask his help and beg his forgiveness. Show me, O Lord, where I'm failing. The thing to remember is that that when God has shown you your sin and you have repented of it, he promises. Nor will he keep his anger forever. God bears no grudges. Thus, he would have not have his people holding resentments. He would have you to be holy as he is holy. Yes, our Lord corrects and continues to correct, but he never ceases to love. Also, he does not suffer his anger to follow them into heaven, but will uh, with all graciousness and mercy. He receives his erring child into his glory. Verses 10 through 13. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. The psalmist says he knows God is a gracious God because he has dealt with us as our sins deserve. You should lift your voice in praise and thanks because you have been shown great mercy. Every power of your being would have been rent with with overwhelming anguish. But because of God's mercy, you have been the recipient of his love and grace. And have hope in the world to come. He goes on to explain to you that heaven is far above earth until we can't even comprehend its glory. Boundless in extent towards his chosen ones is his mercy that cannot be measured by any earthly standard. You must be careful here how you think about this glory. As this lofty heaven covers the earth, waters it with dew and rain, enlightens it with the sun, moon, and stars, and looks down upon it with unceasing watchfulness. So we see that the Lord's mercy from above covers all his chosen, enriches them, embraces them, and stands forever as their dwelling place. We see in this how exceedingly great is the height of heaven. Tell me if you can. Who can reach the first of the fixed stars? Who can measure the utmost bounds of the starry universe? All this is a form of mercy for for those created. Everything God made, he made with man and mind. He says all this mercy is for those who fear him. You must understand, you need to show a humble reverence of God's authority or you will never taste of his grace. Godly fear is one of the first products of the divine life in you. It's the beginning of wisdom. And it fully ensures to its possessor all the benefits of divine mercy. Indeed, this mercy is here and everywhere employed to set forth the worth of the whole of true religion. Many a true child of God trembles at filial fear. That's the fear of the parents. They stand shaking as they're, to their acceptance by God. This shaking and trembling is groundless. Why? Because Christ has done everything for you. You couldn't do for yourself. But it is in infinitely to be prepared to the presumption that man saves himself. This presumption is what cites men to boast of their adoption and consequent assurance while all the while they're lost in their sins. Those who would presume on the infinite extent of divine mercy, they must be led, led to consider that even though it is wide as the horizon and high as the stars, such mercy is only meant for those who fear the Lord. Those who are obstinate rebels will find they face justice alone with no mercy given. What a terrible thought. You need to turn to Jesus Christ. If you have been presuming on God and his desire to save you without recognizing the work that he has put into saving your soul, you're in serious trouble. You need to recognize you need Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. There's no other way into heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Put your hope and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. He says in verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What a powerful verse. A glorious verse. I don't think of any word that could excel it. What makes it so great? It declares sin is to be removed from us by a great word of love. Is that not wonderful? Is that not one of the most comforting things that you could ever hear? What a load to take away from you. And it is removed so far that it can never again cause you anguish. Hallelujah. That the Lord alone can remove sin. He has done it in a godlike way. He does it making a complete sweep of all your transgressions, throwing them as far as the east is from the west, where they can never be recovered. They're gone. They're forgotten. This is followed by verse 13, which builds upon God's mercy toward you. He says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. To all who truly reverence his holy name, the Lord is a father and acts as such. Though these he pities, for in the very best of men, the Lord sees a lot to pity even when they we are at a, our best state, we are still in need of his compassion. You must understand, we do not adore a God of stone. We worship the living God who is tenderness itself. He is ever showing us compassion. His pity never fails to flow, and we never cease to need it. Verses 14 through 18. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Verses 14 through 16 shows the consideration of man's weakness and perishable estate the Almighty goes beyond to spare his creatures. He goes to the depth of compassion to show mankind his mercy. What we show here is that mortal man is as frail as the grass in the field. Man comes into this world with beauty and strength, and that goes through much of his life, but it eventually melts away as the wind passes over and he is blown away, never to be seen in his place again. He tells us God knows our future. He knows how we are made. How does he know this? He made us. Our make and build, our constitution and temperament, our prevailing infirmity, and those most besetting temptations he will perceive, for he searches our inmost being. The psalmist says the Lord remembers we are but dust. We're made of dust taken from the ground. We're still dust of the ground, and we will return to the dust of the ground. In olden times, such strong men were called iron dukes because of strong constitutions. However, such titles were shown to be simply lies. The iron dukes of this world grow old, and other men of like virtue are following them to the grave where they return to dust. We often refuse to think of ourselves as dust. We try our minds and bodies unduly by excessive mental and bodily exertion. We are also shamefully not mindful of the infirmities of others, causing us to impose upon them burdens too hard for them to carry. You need to ask yourself, have I done that? You need to search your heart, because this is something you need to deal with. We see little past our own wants and desires, and we need to go beyond that. But we can be glad that our Heavenly Father never overloads us. He never fails to give us strength equal to the dire day. He always takes our frailty into account. We need to lift our voices in praise to this glorious God who knows and understands our frailties and has compassion on us. What do we learn here? We learn we have only an allotted time in this life To learn of our Lord and make our peace with our Creator. If you don't yet know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the time for you to learn of Him is today. God sent Him into this world. He sent Him to be your Savior, to be the perfection you need to come into the presence of God who made you. Open your soul today to His great mercy and compassion. Praise Him for sending His only begotten Son into this world to do for you what you could never do for yourself. He did everything you could not do. He lived the perfect life, died the atoning death, won the resurrection victory so that your weaknesses would be made into His strength and your life changed for eternity. Verses 17 and 18. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commands to do them. Learn here that no man should presume. All who wither like the grass, let them not despair. For their nature, with all of its infirmities, the Son of God has taken upon himself. George Horn states it this way. A flower faded in Adam, but blooms anew in Christ, never to fade again. God's mercy is everlasting and will carry forward from generation to generation. His mercy shall rest on all who give their lives to him and gather under his covenant and know his commands and keep them. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. This glorious person who works all these wonders of mercy for his people, Such wonders as the word of God and the one triumphantly seated as Savior of the world upon his throne in heaven. He is possessed. He is possessed of all power to accomplish his will, even until all things shall be subdued to him. The glories of his throne, the brightness of his excellent majesty, and the might of his irresistible power are established so his kingdom rules over all. Verses 22, 20 through 22. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his work. Bless the Lord, all of you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. As we come to the end of this glorious psalm, we find joy awaiting all who know their Lord as both their creator and their savior. Joy is observed and it diffuses, mingles in differing situations. What is it therefore is to bring a good light to dark circumstances. We can see that this psalm is so full of holy joy until he overflows with it. Unable to praise the Lord worthily of his mercies, he calls the church to invite heaven and earth to join with him to come and celebrate the redemption of man. In Revelation, we're told the Apostle John saw the throne of the Messiah prepared. He beheld the universal orchestra assembled, and he heard when all the angels round about the throne 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands upon thousands with every creature in heaven, earth, and sea. They lifted their voices and sang together, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever i titled this message a psalm of peace, of praise. As you have seen, there's so much we need to be giving God for praise. He created the universe. He created everything in it, including you and me. On top of all of that, we need to praise him for our good thoughts and actions because he stands behind us in them all. But the most important thing, the most important thing to praise him for is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the sending of Jesus, we were given grace and mercy that is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. Jesus came into this creation. The one he made. He came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He gave his perfect life as an atonement for our sinful souls dying on the cross in our place. He went to the grave, but he could not hold him because he had no sin of his own. He was resurrected and returned to heaven and to the Father's side, giving to us a great victory over death. Here's the ground for all of your praise. Open your ears. Open your ears and hear your hearts and believe so that you can praise him with all of your soul for your redemption. Let us pray. Glorious and almighty God, You have called us to turn from our sins. You call us to bring our petitions and return to the Lord. You have taught us to pray, forgive all our sins, and graciously receive us so that we may offer our lives as living sacrifices of praise. No man can save us. We have no strength to save ourselves. We cast away all those things we have trusted in and place our hope, our trust, in Christ and in Christ alone. This is the desire of our hearts and the goal of our faith. Bless us in Christ's name and make our lives a testimony of your love. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.